All right. Good morning, church. All right. Good morning, church. If you're getting coffee outside, come back in and get started. Glad you're here worshiping with us. Merry Christmas. Uh, a bunch of you have family and friends in town. Very, very exciting. And we're glad that you've carved out some time uh, to be with us uh, here with us. If you're a guest or visitor, we're, we're glad that you're here. Uh, if you're checking us out as a church or maybe you've been coming for a little bit, uh, we'd love to connect with you. You can do that through our app or the kiosk out in front. Uh, just give us a little bit of information. Uh, around the holidays, it's taken a little bit longer to connect with people, but we'll, we'll eventually get there. So please be patient with us, but we'd love to connect with you in a very intentional way. So uh, please feel free to uh, just fill out the kiosk out front or uh, the app. We've got a couple of different things that are coming up. One most notably is tomorrow. It's Christmas morning tomorrow or Christmas Eve tomorrow. And we have services at five and seven. And we want to talk about this a little bit. If you've noticed, we've taken out some tables, we've added chairs. Uh, we normally have about 150, 155 chairs, seats available in this room. Right now, look around, we have 196 seats that are in this room. That means it is filling up very, very quickly. Last year, we had to scramble at the five o'clock service to add a bunch of seats. And so we want to talk about this. Number one, uh, a couple of you have said you're willing to switch from the five o'clock and go to the seven o'clock. That will be an enormous help to us. So if you maybe don't have little kids and you're flexible and you're like, actually, I don't really mind what service we go to. If you can, uh, switch and go to the seven o'clock service, that would help us greatly. Here's the other thing, and I hope this ruffles some feathers. We really need you, and we will actually confront you in a loving way. We need you to start from up front and move to the back when you come and sit uh, at our services, both at the five o'clock and seven o'clock. I know some of you have your special seats that you love to sit in all the time. What that does is it really screws up guests because if you're a brand new person or you're visiting the church, it is ridiculously awkward to be walked up to the front if you're brand, brand new. So please get over yourself on Christmas Eve and sit up front. If that sounds harsh, it's supposed to be. Um, because oftentimes what we think about, and we're going to address this in the sermon, we think about ourselves, where our family wants to sit, where we are comfortable, etc. That really hurts us with guest relations and with people who are maybe seeking. So please do that on Christmas Eve, sit towards the front, then move towards the back. If you really want to sit in the back, then get here late and your seat will be available to you, okay? Uh, but please, please do that. And also, if you can shift from the five o'clock, go to the seven o'clock hour, that would help us uh, a great deal. We're going to have hot apple cider and tea. We're not going to have a ton of cookies and such uh, this year because really all it does is hyper up the kids uh, right before dinner. Uh, and so we're holding off a little bit on that. So we will have hot apple cider and teas. Uh, it'll be a beautiful, beautiful time. But we are going to start literally right at five o'clock uh, with the service and right at seven o'clock. Uh, and they will run just shy of an hour. So that way you can plan accordingly for reservations or getting together with families, et cetera, for your meals uh, and those kind of things. That makes sense to everybody. Really do appreciate your flexibility and your help on this, and we really do need your help. Next thing, 
is we have a brand new series right after uh, Christmas Eve, and that is called Blueprints. What we're doing is we're taking a very hard look at culture and society, and we're going to allow the blueprint of the Bible to speak and guide us. So we're looking at the original blueprints, the original language, the original Bible to give us guidance. We are dealing with topics, difficult topics, but we are dealing with topics of homosexuality, abortion, racism, materialism, and the list goes on that we are going to address them from a very strong theological, biblical point of view and allow that to be our guide and not culture on what makes us feel good. It will, again, ruffle some feathers. It will make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but it has to be addressed in the church. And so we are going to be addressing those in some very, very intentional, specific, detailed ways in looking at the scripture. So would love for you to uh, join us back for that new series. A lot of you were praying this past week. We asked you to pray. We asked you to fast. We asked you to be mindful of our hearing that we had with the county. And I'm here to say that uh, we did receive approval to go to the next step. So praise the Lord. Thank you guys uh, for praying. Uh, that is a, a huge, huge answer to prayer. Uh, it could have been a no, it could have been a long delay and tabled, or it could have been a yes, and we received a yes to go to the next step. The next step is a commissioner's hearing uh, at the end of January, possibly the beginning of February, um, and that is where they're going to take a, another hard look at it. Everybody takes a look at it uh, and, and gives opinions. Uh, it was about a three-hour meeting this past week uh, with the uh, uh, building, planning, commissioner, engineer, opinion uh, people, whatever, whatever stamp we give them, and a lot of thoughts on this. And they waded way into the weeds, but nevertheless gave us approval to move to the next place. So we will keep you informed. Uh, we will give you drawings. We will give you details as they're available to us, but please uh, continue to uh, pray for that process. Uh, thanks. Uh, finally, uh, we're trying to adjust the temperature in here. So if you get cold, steal someone's jacket. The rest of us are losing weight by the second, okay? Um, you can only uh, take off so much, you can put on a whole lot easier. So, uh, so let's pray together, and we'll jump into what God has uh, to wrestle with us this morning on. God, we, we submit ourselves to your lordship. We submit ourselves to your majesty. Whether you are the baby born in a manger or you're the king on the cross, we submit to you. You rule this world. You rule our lives. You rule our marriages. You rule our kids. And we, we just take a moment and, and bow before you. God, we are not for the better if we hear from man. There's only life change and, and conviction and encouragement and love if we hear from you. And so our prayer this morning is that you would allow the scriptures to maybe come alive in a different way and allow our hearts to be open to you speaking truth into those. So before we get to Christmas and the ultimate joy that's found there, we continue to look at things that kind of destroy that. 
I pray that you give us the courage to do that. Thank you for this dear church, for the people, for our family. We ask all of these things and now open the scriptures under your authority in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're new around here, we've been in a series where we're looking at the things that either delay, inhibit, destroy, rob us of, or kill our joy. Uh, we were having a prayer time this morning, as we do every morning on Sundays at 9.15. You're all welcome to join us. We pray for any prayer requests and for families, but also for the services and for the church worldwide. We gather in the office. And Mimi talked about, uh, it, part of her prayer was just the, the rat race that we feel around us. Have you guys felt that? Have you ventured into Walmart or Target recently? It's dangerous. I mean, there's war zones, but then there's Walmart and Target a couple of days before Christmas, and you just got to watch your heels with shopping carts, and uh, the lines are long, and uh, every now and then you get a, a cashier that's super kind and cheerful, and make sure you tell them thank you for that. That doesn't come natural after, you know, a hundred people buying things and are crabby. Uh, and so what we're doing is we're looking at these things that we don't even do it intentionally. They, sometimes they just happen. Like our, we're joyful in the morning, and then something happens and it's gone. You guys ever been there where you, you didn't plan it, you didn't want it, but like four o'clock in the afternoon comes and you're just grumpy, right? Anyone else? No, a couple of you are grumpy. Benji, you're grumpy. Awesome. Appreciate your willingness to share that. Um, so this morning we're continuing that. And here's a hard reality stinginess, not just at Christmas, but all year long, is something that kills our joy. Uh, and, and we're not just talking about stingy like, hey, you know, it, it was uh, Christmas and you wrapped up something from your closet and gave it to your brother. Like, that's stingy. Or, you know, you're supposed to go to a, a really nice white elephant where you're supposed to, you know, spend $20 or more in a gift. You ever guys ever have those annoying white elephants where you got to like spend real money for them? Uh, and you wrap something up kind of garbage and you hand it away. That's stingy. But there are several faces of things that kill our joy. Some of you have seen uh, some of these faces on the screen. They, like you look at them and you almost start to like make the contortion of your face to match them a little bit. You guys feel that right now? You just want to like scrunch your cheeks and your nose and like glare a little bit. Here's a, a, another difficult reality. Our faces are up here sometimes. Not all the time, but our faces can go up there. My favorite is the middle with the Grinch. We have these faces, we have these moments where we just feel stingy, we feel grumpy, we, we feel like we're going to hold back. And let me just help you this morning. You're not a bad person for doing that. You're normal. In fact, the Bible says it's something that we will always fight against. So take a deep breath, go, I'm okay, and, and this morning will be a whole lot easier. We learn this from a very young age with a very incredible, powerful word, and it's called mine. Isn't that the best word when you hear kids? Mine. Some of us grow out of it. Some of us d never grow out of it. We might not say mine, but we've substituted in other words for mine. Our boys struggle with that on a regular basis. They, they have a toy, they have a football, and they're like, that's mine. 
or they have a, a Lego container and there's roughly four trillion Legos in the Lego container and then I'll hear from across the room, that was my piece. I don't know how that's possible with four trillion pieces of Legos that it would be yours, but nevertheless, some of us don't grow out of that. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 with me. It says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Remember this, the context for this verse of, of how the, the church in Corinth is being addressed, it's about giving and it's about loving other people. It's not one or the other. It's about giving, but it's also about loving other people, loving the person next to you. So we'll get into that in a few moments. Uh, a chapter earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in grumpiness. No. It welled up in stinginess. No. It, it welled up in feeling sorry for themselves. No. It, it welled up, the scriptures say, in rich generosity. It's widely known, secular historians have written about this, that the church in Macedonian, uh, Macedonia was unbelievably poor. We're, we're talking Calcutta, India, poor, very, very poor. And yet they are also widely known throughout history as being an unbelievable, generous church. Very gently, but very clearly, the question God is asking this morning in regards to possibly our joy being killed is, is that you? Is that you? Look with me back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 again. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Every man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We've read this before. We've unpacked these before. But herein lies a hard truth. We can be stingy. We can be stingy. It doesn't say that we always are stingy. It doesn't say that that defines us. But we can be stingy. And when we are stingy, there is a choice and then a result or a consequence or, or something that happens based on that decision. The scriptures tell us that everyone has to make a choice on giving, and along with each choice will come a result. I remember in California, our church was going through a time of transition. It was a really difficult time in the life of the church, and I was uh, pressed with having to do, uh, yet again, another giving talk, super fun for the pastor. And I remember finishing that and uh, coming back down off the stage and the service ended and a man walked up to me and uh, something that is very interesting at times for a pastor to receive, he says, hey, nice message. And then that was it. And I'm like, thanks. 
And he goes, but you didn't tell us how much to give. I said, well, you're right, I didn't. I can't do that. Well, how do we know how much to give then? I don't know. But I do know God says be generous. And we left in this kind of awkward, quiet point where there weren't answers. Why? Because I and no other pastor can tell you what you give. Now, some of you are thinking finances. You're like, I knew it. We're going to go to church. There's going to be a giving talk. They want our money. Let me preface this. This is bigger than your money. This is giving of, of being generous in your giving of forgiveness. This is being generous with patience when you don't have any left to give. This is being uh, generous with a kind heart when you're done. You guys ever been there where you're done? You have nothing left to give? Now, in regards to a tithe, let's make sure we're all on the same page here. In, in, the, in the current church, in the modern day church, we're really good at going, tithe means nothing. The Bible never even says 10%. The Bible never even says that you should give financially. And we have completely watered down tithing. We have completely watered down giving. We have completely watered down our finances because we don't want to offend anyone. We also don't want to appear as if we're dictating or instructing anyone. We've done a significant disservice to what the scriptures teach. The basic terms for a tithe were 10% of the produce from the land, whether it was grain or fruit, it was the Lord's and it was holy. The book of Leviticus is sharp on this. And in several other places throughout the Bible, it describes that giving wasn't 10%, it was more like 28%. So please don't get caught up on a number. But followers of God were asked to decide what they are going to give on top of whatever tithe that they choose to give. Verse 7, each man should give what he has decided to give in his heart to give. Some, and you know some of these people, decide to be stingy you get the last of their reserves. They're patient with everyone else, but they're not patient with you. They're kind to everyone else, but they're stingy with you. They're happy-go-lucky and fun and personable and engaging and yet a grump with you. We can be stingy, and it robs us of our joy. It robs us of the work that God is doing in his community. I have studied and been part of churches for 27 years. And I can tell you that that which you have heard about, the 80-20 rule, is real. 20% carry the church. And sometimes that's carry the church financially. Sometimes that's carry the church in serving or shoveling snow or, or cleaning up. And 80% reap the benefits. The latest statistics show that 40 to 50% of people that attend a church don't give at all financially. Friends, that's a problem. 
that's a problem not just at Rock Creek Church. That's a problem for God's church, what he is growing, his kingdom here on earth. Because here's what happens when, when that happens, churches get stuck in a gear. You ever go teach your kid how to drive and they're trying to go 40 miles an hour in first gear? They can't quite get the next gear and there's grinding and it's not good. That's exactly what happens in churches. They can't quite get from second gear to third gear to fourth gear to fifth gear. Why? Because we've lost a little bit of this understanding of theologically and biblically. How are we supposed to be generous and not stingy? And we grind gears. And here at Rock Creek, there are times, making sure we're just shooting true with everyone, there are times we're stuck in second and third gear because all aren't giving. Whether it be serving financially, our hearts, evangelism, you name it. Now, if you're new here, or you're new to your given church, maybe you're listening online and you go to a new church or whatever, I want to say this. I understand why you don't give. There is a time when, when you start going to a church, you're checking a church out, and you're looking at a church. You have to, in, in a sense, vet that church. You have to trust the leadership. You have to trust the elders. You have to buy into the vision. You have to buy into what the standards are uh, on what ministry happens the priorities of a church. You have to buy into those things before you can then get behind it. You have to decide, can I invest here relationally? Can I be a part of the community? Can I really serve others or am I just going to keep a seat warm? Bless you. If you shift from this is becoming my church, then that's one thing. But for those of you who are new at a church, it makes sense. But for the follower of Jesus... For the one who has decided to make their church home, according to the scriptures, you must give. And in a world that says, don't tell me what to do, I know that doesn't come lightly. Know that I don't say it lightly. But see, the reality is God says you must give, but it's bigger than just because he needs a dollar. He needs your heart. And the reality is the scriptures tie the heart and the money, the heart and the tongue, the heart and time together. You can't separate them, which is why it's so difficult. But the scriptures say that if you give sparingly, you reap sparingly. So the question possibly is posed, does that mean I reap now or I reap later? Do, does that mean I reap, whatever reap means, and we'll talk about that. Does it mean I reap now or do I reap when I'm standing before Christ at the day of judgment? Where, where do I get? And the answer is yes. It's both. It's like exercise. You certainly benefit in the moment as you condition your body but if you keep going, there are long-term gains. Are you with me? Some of you, I know I'm talking foreign here with exercise. <laughs> Giving is the same way. If you choose to sow sparingly, in other words, if you choose to exercise sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. 
The results will be small, both now and long term, for you both personally and for the church, but it's even bigger than that. The Bible says that if you're stingy on anything that comes from Him, take any fruit of the Spirit, take any possession, take any dollar, anything that God has given you, if you are stingy with it, it will rob you of joy, but it's even bigger than that. You will miss out on the purpose of life, and that is to love your Lord, your God, with all of your heart and to love others. He could have done it any other way. But this is how he chose. That's the negative. Now let me talk about the good. We can choose to be stingy, but we can also choose to be generous. And just like stinginess, there is a choice and there is a result of that action. 2 Corinthians 9, let's go back to it. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly, that was the first part, that's the negative, will also reap sparingly. However, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Look with me at Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This, let me help you understand this. This was those in the biblical times who would go and gather wheat. They would wear these kind of fun aprons, if you would, and they had little pouches, kind of a kangaroo pouch, and they would stuff their wheat in there as they worked. And what would happen is it would overflow. So as you worked, that's what you would harvest. If you, if you worked sparingly, there wasn't much in your pouch. If you worked hard and, and you gathered, then it would just naturally pour out. Pour out into your lap. Now, I want to be careful on this. This is not... Please hear me on this. This is not prosperity gospel. That is not biblical theological teaching. The idea that if I give, then God's going to give to me. Like, he's not an IRA, right? Although if, if any word were to give good investment, it would be him, but he's not. He doesn't give you 18% on your dollar. But the Bible says that God will be generous. It may not be dollar for dollar, but guess what? It might. Just, just like we don't put God in a box to say, well, it's prosperity gospel. I, I deposit money. I earn interest. Like, oh my gosh, I just want to keep giving to God. It may be that as well. But it's not that. It's, it doesn't say that. But it does say that God will be generous. Well, how might he be generous with you? It might be your health. It might be relationships. It might be him giving you joy in your heart or, or peace in your spirit or giving you that extra amount of patience or, or giving you a sense of love so that you can love others or a settled heart. You guys ever had an unsettled heart? It's the worst 
God says, I will be generous. As you give, I will be generous. As you sow generously, you will reap generously. But it's not dollar for dollar. It might be something you never dreamed you needed. But he will be generous back to you. And much like those aprons that the men and women and children would wear, the, the wheat or whatever we're harvesting will fall out, the scriptures say, into our lap. And for some of you, I wish we could have testimony. You, you can speak to this where you were so generous with kindness when you were literally on E and you received. You had no more patience left within your spirit, but you gave patience and God was generous back with you. It's the same thing with the dollar. Even secular experts, experts that study this on a regular basis, sociologists study this on a regular basis, people who give to others feel rewarded in some way and they want to do it again and again and again and again and again. Why? Because it feels good. And none of us in this room can put our finger on why except the scriptures. And the scriptures say the reason why it feels so good, even if you are far from God, the reason why it feels so good to pour out is because that's what you were wired for. In the original design, the blueprints, if you would, that's how God made humanity, is to be generous, not stingy. Is that you? Are you generous? Do you pour out thankfulness? Do people look at you and go, man, you know, Scott has a lot of flaws, but that man is thankful. Donald, boy, he, you might talk about his shortcomings, but man, he is just always forgiving. He's never on empty. He just continues to pour it out, pour it out, pour it out. Friends, the, the way that you stand out in this world isn't by grabbing your Bible and hitting people with it. It's being generous with the things of God especially during today's times. In fact, if you want to go on a mission trip, just go to Walmart today. Don't even buy anything. Just walk the aisles and be generous. Leave your wallet at home. Just go be generous. You will make a difference. Or are you stingy with those things? Some of you know the name Lee Atwater. Some of you, anybody that ring a bell to some of you, my political nerds, my brethren. Lee Atwater was a Republican strategist and, and was actually the leader of the RNC during the George H.W. Bush. For some of you the younger, that's previous to the one you don't like. Um, <laughs> he was super good at what he did, but he was downright mean. Some of you remember him unbelievably gifted politician, but he was referred to, and I don't know how your day has been, but he was referred to as the devil. So I don't know how many of you have been referred to as the devil, but that's not a very good day. 
Over time, he developed in a young age, he developed a brain tumor on the right side of his head. And one day, a godly man, Doug Coe, Doug Coe was uh, the founder of the presidential prayer breakfast. Doug Coe put in a call to him. It actually took him three times to reach him before Atwater would uh, speak with him. And the two of them began to talk about life. And Coe shared Jesus Christ with Atwater. And Atwater gave his life to Christ. Not, not just a belief in, not, not just a stamp that say, okay, like I'm going to die soon, so I'll give my life to that. A genuine belief in, and it began to change him. And, and Coe began to disciple Atwater in some very specific ways. But he was dying. That same year, Atwater was asked to come to the prayer breakfast. This prayer breakfast had had Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, and countless others speak at it. And that morning, with the president and his family, and the vice president and his family, and uh, countless senators and congressmen and other um, would-be important people, thousands in this room, uh, after the main speaker, Atwater, was introduced to Washington. And the room grew deathly silent. And he took the podium with his unbelievably frail body and he spoke into the microphone. There are only two questions in life. And he paused. Do you love Jesus Christ? Does it make a difference in your life? And with that, this dying man sat back down in his wheelchair and was wheeled off the stage and died three weeks later. His question was powerful then and it remains today. Do you love Jesus Christ? Does it make a difference in your life? I hope that there's a wrestling in your heart with this. How do you love? How do you give? How do you serve? How do you work? How do you support? How do you help generously or stingy? Your joy, at least in part, depends on it. You see, when we break down following Christ, it's actually quite simplistic. Love God and love others. Love others and your God with your resources, your money, your time, your patience, and it works. Why does it work? Because it's his anyway. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, this is so important, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 
through us, through the church, through the kingdom of God. As you give, you get to participate in God's thanksgiving. By means of your generosity. In fact, you get to see the kingdom of God advance right before your eyes. I'll give you an example of that. When you gave to the foster care Christmas party, and a lot of you came and worked that as well, didn't just give, but came and helped prepare or clean up or face paint or whatever, you were able to see the results of your generosity. And so many of you came up to me and went, this is amazing. You give generously, you reap generously. And that thing that we felt in our hearts, we could probably come up with a handful of words to describe that, but it wasn't a word. It was something deeper within that we can't put our finger on. Here at Rock Creek Church, as you give, both with your time, your resources, and your money, we are seeing marriages saved through counseling. You may not know that, but there have been a handful of marriages literally saved from the brink of divorce because you give. We're sending teams all around the world we're creating community life groups where people say, man, if it weren't for my life group, I don't know where I'd be. If it weren't for that community, I don't know where we'd be. That's our lifeline. We love our life group. We're investing in our future leaders, our teens, these teenagers all around this room. They are our future leaders, not just in this world, but they're our future church leaders. When we get older, we're helping folks pay bills, people that otherwise wouldn't be able to uh, keep their electricity on or pay for groceries or pay for gas, a very, very significant reality for some. And because you give, that happens. We're supporting missionaries overseas. We're speaking truth and showing love to Boulder County foster care system who knows in their depths of their hearts that they are loved by this church. That's crazy because you give. We're creating and unleashing lead teams to run the ministries so that the church is self-sufficient with a, a broader base of those who are leading the church. Why? Because this isn't my church. It's not Alex's church. It's not the elder's church. This is, this is our family church. We're doing outreaches and feedings to the homeless. We're, we're trying our best. You heard the update. We're trying our best to expand our facilities so that we could not only do ministry better right now, but so that we could reach your friends or families or neighbors that don't know Christ at all. Amen. We're helping new, new families that have made this their church home like the Schultzes help them find friends and, and find a place to serve, Stan and Deb. And the list goes on of, of people that have said, man, that, this is going to be my church home. When you give, it may not help you, but it may 
help someone else find a home. And we're, we're trying our best. Sometimes it feels like we're not making a difference, but we're trying our best to walk with every single one of you to help you find your next step to becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. When you give, that propels us from second or third into fourth and fifth gear. And as you give, yes, with your time, and yes, with your service, and yes, with your abilities, but also with your money, you share in the thanksgiving with God for what he's doing. I know most of you spent time in First Chronicles this week, so this will be review. In First Chronicles 29, David has donated all of, now get this, all of his personal possessions, all of his inheritance, uh, all of his wealth, he's donated all to the construction of the temple, and, and now he's appealing to the people to join him in his giving. Not for tithes, but for voluntary gifts above and beyond a tithe. And the people respond and they do it. They, they build the temple and it's, it's beautiful. And in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14, David grabs a little bit of quiet time with God to reflect on what just happened. And here's what he says, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what has come from your hand. Friends, God's shovel is bigger than our shovel. I don't know if you've ever worked with little kids. If you haven't, I would love to parse out some of mine. Even if they don't work, if they just stand in your yard for the day, that would be a blessing to us. But I'm more than willing to share them. But I've shoveled dirt with my boys. My shovelfuls are bigger than my boys. You ever see that? Where a little boy is holding a, or a little girl is holding a shovel and you take yours and you dump it and almost teeter-totters them up into the air? That's God. God's shovelful is bigger than ours. And we're asked then to do whatever we can to shovel it back out, to shovel love and, and kindness and time and patience and yes, finances, carefully, mind you, but with generosity leading the charge to protect our joy from being stolen or killed. I'm going to end with this story. It's not one that I'm super proud of, but it's true. About a month ago, I, well, about a month and a half ago, I started going back to the gym to try and start doing cardio. Yeah. It's the most awful time of the year. I should make that a song. And I got on the treadmill and I decided I'm going to do about a lot of time walking and very little running, and I'll alternate. And I began, and within, I don't know, seconds, I was winded. And there was a gentleman next to me running and his arms were kind of down at his side and he wasn't running real fast, mind you, but he was running and he was, I don't know, like 125 years old. 
I mean really, 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 really old. And I don't think he was even breathing. I think he was holding his breath the whole time. And I was the opposite. In fact, you know, they have those like heart paddles in gyms. Those are for people like me. And I would like run for a little bit and I'm like, screw this. And I'd like go back down. I'm like, I'm going to walk. And he turns to me and goes, hang in there. I'm almost sure that was encouragement. (laughs) I'm like, I will. (sighs) So I start running again. And he obviously sees the pain in me. And he goes, it might help if you lean in. As if hang in there wasn't enough. His is on an incline. Mine's flat. So he's like, might help if you lean in a little bit. And I said, no offense, but I'm just trying not to fall and die. (laughs) So we go on for a while and he continues to run. He goes, you know what? It might help if you just take smaller steps. At this point, I'm thoroughly annoyed. This is like 15 minutes of encouragement from this man. But I thought about that later. Whether it's giving or reading your Bible or starting to date your bride again or giving patience or cleaning up your language or straightening out your purity, maybe the advice is just lean in a little bit. Or maybe it's just take smaller steps. I don't know what it is for you. For a lot of people, giving's hard. It just is. Giving of time, giving of money, just giving, being generous, not just in the church, out of the church. And I just want to say, if that's you, if if as I'm talking, you're like, man, I can't do this. Allow me to be that old steady guy in the treadmill and just say, Hang in there. Lean in. Start with some smaller steps. You can do it. Because joy follows. And the best example we have of that is the God of all creation giving generously with the one who is most precious to him the best of the best. We'll celebrate that tomorrow. But it's good for us to be reminded of. So let's pray together. Allow the team to lead us in some more worship. I wish so many times that when there's something that needs to be talked about that I didn't have to do it. 
whether it's sin or hell or addictions or money, busyness, discontentment. I just wish I didn't have to be the one to, to talk about it. Wish you could I wish we could tangibly have you Jesus at 10 o'clock every Sunday. I, I admit to you that's my own insecurity, that's my own flaw. But there are things in Scripture, God, that you are so abundantly clear that absolutely works against the grain of the joy that you offer. And when we hold back, when we are stingy with anything, that it just robs us. God, we don't want to ever, ever, ever be a church that shies away from any topic. We don't ever want to be a church that uh, tiptoes around topics because we're afraid. We want to be a church that's both physically and spiritually blowing out walls to expand your kingdom. Reaching people, growing our body, growing the depths of our hearts. And I know for every single one of us in this room and for those who are listening online, there is a call of generosity. Maybe that is giving for the first time to the church to start the new year. Maybe it is giving of generosity to the neighbor that absolutely annoys us. Maybe that's a kind word to the coworker that we do anything possible to avoid. Maybe it's the extra amount of patience to our kids as they drive us crazy. Maybe it's swallowing our tongue as we get cut off on the road, but you tell us to give generously. So for each, would you walk these aisles? Would you speak to those listening online and prompt us on what it is that our calling is? to give and to give generously and to have great trust in you. That that which we reap with generosity will begin because we sow with generosity. And again, thank you for Christmas. We'll celebrate that tomorrow, but thank you. Thank you that you didn't hold back. We love you. And we're really grateful for this morning. We pray all these things in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you please stand?